Hello, 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 everyone. This is Hannah Cavanaugh speaking, and welcome to yet another amazing episode of Tea for Three. I'm here with two awesome women today. I just want to introduce them to the podcast to their Tea for Three debut. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get started. So the first guest that I'll be having on the show is a sophomore at Hunter. She's majoring in political science and Chinese. Wow, that's insane. Uh, she's also the external affairs commissioner at Hunt for Hunter USG. So she handles social media, websites, you name it. And uh, she's a delegate for USS. I'd love to give a warm welcome to Kayla Benjamin. How you doing, Kayla? Hi, Hannah. I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Super excited to be here. This is great. I've been looking forward to this all week. So now that it's here, I'm like, yes. Um, all right. So the next guest that I'm going to be introducing is also a sophomore at Hunter. She's double majoring in women and gender studies and media studies with a concentration in journalism. And she does amazing work with CUNY for Abolition and Safety in terms of advocating for racial equity on campus through the Audre Lorde Initiative, as well as advocating for the divestment of core craft. So amazing, doing amazing, amazing work. I love to give a warm welcome to Jada. Shannon, how you doing, Jada? Hi, I'm doing so well. Thank you hey. for having me. No problem. Thanks for being on the show. I'm, uh, oh, I can't stop smiling. All right, so are you ready to try some tea? Yeah. All right, so um, who wants to go first in terms of like, describing what kind of tea they have today, as well as rating it on a scale from one to 10. I can go. Um, so I have chai tea today. Nice. Um, yeah, it's like spicy. And like when you add like sweetness to it, it's like a good balance of sweetness and like spice flavors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I can read it. 10 out of 10. Yes. <laughs> That's the first 10 out of 10 we've had in a while. That's amazing. Great. So yeah, what about you, Kayla? Like, what kind of tea do you have with you today? So I have lemongrass tea, and I kind of apologize in advance because I'm horrible at describing things. But it's like one of those like really like leafy, you know, like nature type of tea. Um, I've only ever had it with like sugar, but I, I would assume that you can add milk and stuff to it. But I like it like just in its natural form with sugar and then it becomes like really sweet but by itself it has it tastes like oh my goodness I it has like this really like no taste but it has a taste if that makes any sense you know how some teas are like maybe kind of like green tea ish yeah. kind of yeah it's like so I was like oh my goodness but when you add sugar it becomes like a whole different other type of thing I'm like it's so crazy but it's one of my favorites and if I were to rate it, I would give it maybe an 8 out of 10. <laughs> okay, nice. Valid. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah, so I actually have a Harney & Sons black currant tea. Um, I've actually been on like a fruity tea kind of kick recently. Uh, yeah, and also it's really great for this, this time in the evening because it's caffeine-free. So it won't leave me like too... And I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine, so I, I won't get too wired off, off of like a cup of it. So yeah, I mean, it smells amazing. I'm getting just robust black currant energy. It's so, it smells so beautiful. And then the taste, it's really hot, hold on. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty subtle taste. You get like, um, it's funny, you get a fruity kick at the end, but at the beginning, it's just like warm and soothing and kind of has a neutral taste. But yeah, I would actually give it, I'm gonna rank it a little lower. I'm gonna give it a seven, but I do really love it. Mm -hmm. you know, seven it's okay yeah 
All right. So now that we've sipped the tea, we are going to be spilling the deets on um, the black experience in America and and also like how we have grown to embrace our blackness over time, um, which is a topic that I've been wanting to discuss on the show for a really long time. And um, yeah, I'm glad we're here today to talk about it because it's super important to discuss. So um, yeah, I guess the first question that I have for you is, and this is kind of, I mean, I was going to ask, like, when did you first become aware of the concept of race? And I'm wondering this because I know like when you're, you know, when you're really, really young, you don't really think of like racial constructs because it's just not, it's not really something you're introduced to, at least when you're like really, really young, but you know, and then you just become aware of it. But when did you guys become like aware of that? It's kind of weird, but I would say like it really struck me during college. Like, and that's pretty recently, like, um, but throughout my, like, younger years, high school, it was always kind of, like, trying to blend in, you know, fit with the crowd type of things, and, like, race wasn't as apparent, like, you you would still see the stuff on the news and stuff, but it was never so big that I was like, oh, shit, I'm Black (laughs) at any one point in time, Mm -hmm. but then during um, college, you know, trying to like find my way, find my space in college, joining clubs and like becoming friends with people in like Black Student Union, Haitian Student Association, just being surrounded with people similar to me. I'm just like, wow, this is like, this is what it's about. And then like a lot of stuff happening like last year with Black Lives Matter and all that stuff, it just became even more apparent, especially when you're on social media. Now every everything's about race at this point. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, like Jada, what about you? Like, when did you discover, um, or like, when were you first like aware of the concept of race? Yeah, um, I would say like um, I think like eighth grade maybe. Um, like I, I went to like a pretty diverse middle school. Um, but yeah i mean i guess like i was conscious i think it was partially because i was also like on the internet and so like i had picked up like some knowledge like from there on like race and like you know i came to like yeah it's so hard to like describe but i know that like i was aware of like jokes that friends would make Mm -hmm. um i was aware that like um like non-black people of color would say the n-word and like other racial slurs and make jokes and it's like hmm like you're not black but like you're also not white and so they're like kind of using that I guess to say that they can so that was a very weird dynamic also I'm like part Haitian and I went to middle school with lots of Dominicans um and so they have a very interesting relationship with like blackness and like Black culture and Haitian people who are a lot, like, predominantly Black. Um, And so I guess, like, discrimination, like, by them, like, made me more conscious of race. Um, And then I went to high school where, like, there was a lot more white students. So from there on, I was just like, yeah, this is, like, me. I'm Black and I'm going to have to put up with this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I feel like I, I agree with like, I feel like I, I, my experience, at least with, in terms of like coming to terms, not coming to terms, rather becoming more aware of the concept of race. It's, it kind of happened both in high school 
and in college, if that makes sense. Like I think, cause I actually, I went to performing arts high school. I went to LaGuardia for theater. And, um, you know, most of the students in my theater class were white and a lot of the plays weren't really tailored to people of color. It always, I, I saw theater at that point as like a very, I don't know, it's an art form that one, some, like some people can argue is kind of rooted in whiteness. And so I really saw that reflected in the options of plays that I had. Um, you know, acting teachers would come up to me all the time and ask like, oh, would you, would you ever do A Raisin in the Sun? or August Wilson. And granted, like, I love those playwrights, but I thought to myself, like, why, how come they look at me? And the first thing they think is like, oh, August Wilson, a raisin in the sun, you know? So I think that's when I started becoming more aware of the concept of race. And also like, I, I, I get where you're coming from Jada in terms of, you know, non-black people of color using the N word. Like I would see, like, um, I know this guy um, who would say the N word all the time, even though, um, you know, he was, well, his, his grandfather was black. Like he's 20, he's mainly Italian, but he still says the N word. So it's just stuff like that brought attention to it, at least for me. And then also, I guess in college as well, I became more aware mm -hmm. of the concept of race as well, because, well, I entered into a somewhat like short-lived toxic relationship with somebody and race definitely played a role. Like his parents did not like that I was biracial at all. Mm -hmm. and made it like very clear to him and then he'd pass what they said on to me and so i think that's when i started becoming aware of race i didn't think people saw me within those confines until until then um but how you know once you were entered once you were introduced to the concept of race as a whole and how it plays out like in our daily lives how did it affect how you viewed the world i think it really changed like my relationship with like the beauty standards um and like also like the whole concept of like double consciousness um just like a term by w.e du bois to like mm. describe like when you're moving through the world and you both like am aware of like your perception of reality but you're also like aware of how other people see you at the same time so i think like i was a lot more concerned about like hair and like hair texture um like both in middle school, because like, you know, non black people tend to also have like straight or looser curls. Um, and then like, also, especially in um, high school, where most of the students were white. So like, they had no like real relation or understanding of black hair. Um, and of course, you encounter the people who make really weird comments or want to touch it. And that's like, annoying. Um, so I definitely think that like leaving the house every day, like I was very conscious of like what my hair looked like. Like as we were talking, I started to remember some stuff so I can add on to my previous answer a little bit. I think maybe um, I started to become like more um, familiar with race in high school because I went to a specialized high school and most of the population was either Asian or white. So I remember thinking, I'm like, I'm like now starting to remember thinking a lot like, damn, I'm the only black person in this class. And that was like for all of my classes throughout my four years at high school, which was really crazy. So that like really made me start to think more about like the inequalities that come with like education and like a really crazy thing that happened that my mom still talks about to this day is like um, to my middle school got like a letter for me, mm -hmm. like uh, like one of those prep school types of things, like for the specialized high school admission exam. So like they sent it out to, 
students that they think are really good at school and they think would benefit them so that they can learn like so that they can learn about how to ace well on the specialized high school exam so like wh whoever ran the program sent that to my middle school and they like never gave me the letter oh. so my mom had to find out about it from like an email and like I joined the program a couple of weeks late but I was able to join so like that's something she still talks about to this day like how the middle school I went to was supposed to like kind of like bring up I guess you can say people of color but like they still hid the opportunity from me so I was like that's crazy I don't know if she, I don't know if like it's as what's the word, as dramatic as my mom seems to make it out to be. It's like, she, I feel like she talks about it at least once every year. But it, it was still something that stuck with me. Like, I had this opportunity and then they were blatantly not giving it to me because, I don't know if it was because I was Black or they didn't tell anybody, but like, it really made a difference because when we got back the results for like high schools and stuff, only two people in my class passed to get into any specialized high school at all and everyone else's um scores were like at least two times lower than ours which is crazy so yeah that was kind of interesting yeah no for sure i mean yeah no that that doesn't make sense to me either like why would they hide that from you yeah mm -hmm. i mean it's funny because i feel like the like when you first become aware of how race plays out in society i feel like it colors all these other prior experiences that you've had. And then you wonder like, oh, was that ruined? Was that like rooted in racial biases? And um, mm -hmm. like, for me, I definitely felt that way with my hair. Like, um, you know, because all, all the time when I was younger, people would always ask like, oh, you know, have you ever straightened it? Oh, you should straighten it. Like, it looks so pretty. And before I never really knew that that was rooted in racial undertones because yeah, my mom and I just never really discussed race. It was never something that was, talked about i mean not and not because it's something that needed to be hidden in any way shape or form but more because she didn't want anything of she didn't want that like to deter me from doing anything that i wanted to do in life and so it's never really something that i thought about and then when i became aware of like how race played a role like in theater and throughout my high school experience i was like wow that was rooted in racial undertones that i i just had no idea and um yeah, and those continued to play out and it got to the point where, you know, pro I actually ended up hating, like as a result of people asking like, oh, to, for me to straighten my hair all the time, I ended up like hating it. And then when I first, yeah, and then when I became more like aware of like the con, like, you know, the concept of race and, of you know, black history and stuff in college, when I became more aware of that, I feel like that's when I really started to embrace my hair. And that's when I started getting into natural hair care as well. Um, natural 84 is like the best. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But do you feel like media ever, and I'm sure it has, but like how has media played a role in how you view race today? Or even like, or over time, I should say. I think like the first thing that comes to mind is um, there's this song by Kendrick Lamar that's called The Blacker the Berry, mm -hmm. um, based on the line, like, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, very, like, um, it's a very, definitely, like, an aggressive song. Like, there's a lot of anger about, like, um, the way Black people are, like, treated. Um, but then he's also, like, mixing in, like, 
how shameless he is and like proud of his blackness he is and so like even though you have all of these stereotypes or whatever like I'm still very proud to like embrace my blackness um and so it's like both like an aggressive song but also like a loving song yeah Um, and so I think like in sophomore year of high school as I was becoming like more aware of race and like learning more about like um just like police violence um because that was a big year I think that was like the year of Sandra Bland um 2015 um I think like media like that um was very like affirming and I think like it can make you feel really seen um and a lot more courageous I think like in your daily life I feel like media definitely helps like self-affirm or make you feel more strongly about race like if you were to just like look at stuff on the news and the way that they treat certain things like if we look at the Black Lives Matter protest and the way that was broadcasted Mm -hmm. it just made me feel even more like okay if I'm not proud about myself who's going to be proud about me for me like Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, it's probably just living in America like the fact that we're experiencing all this right now that we feel this way but yeah it's definitely if I were to talk about music and all the cool music that we have here and all the cool music that um black artists have put out and all the all the stuff that's going on their lyrics it would take a day but (laughs) we definitely have so many ways and so many people that are willing to like show that blackness is okay that it's it's cool to be black it's amazing blackness is at the top like it's I really appreciate that, especially now that people are feeling like more safe in expressing themselves as black as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. It's um it's funny, like as you listen to the music, you realize that, you know, and I'm sure like we all know this at this point, but I a lot of the music a lot of the different kinds of genres that have come out are rooted in like black culture. You know, mm-hmm. of course, like rock and roll. Yeah, rock and roll, hip hop, yeah. like bluegrass all of it you know what I mean so I think even looking at it from that perspective that would lead people to embrace their blackness even more the fact that so many different things are rooted in black culture and come from that um at least for me media is more um it's brought more attention to kind of like light skin privileged and colorism as well I've been watching a bunch of video essays on it and you know prior to you know I think prior to watching stuff like that and really kind of working to like learn more about race and black history and all that stuff like I I didn't really realize colorism played as large of a role as it did so I think media not only led me to embrace my blackness but also kind of learn about colorism and things like that things that I wasn't aware of before and in high school I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and we were just talking about like the black experience and stuff and various things that we faced and you know, my friend said to me like, oh, you would never know what the black experience is truly like. You're biracial. And, you know, I mean, I I get what she's saying to some extent. Like, I get that, you know, as a light skinned black woman, there's there's certain. Yeah, there's there's light skin privilege and there's all these different things that I'm. Yeah. So it's educated me as well in terms of learning how to, like, deconstruct that as well, you know. So, yeah. Is that something that you guys still notice or that you think is still like very present? 
and at least within the confines of racism? Yeah, I mean, I think like what comes to mind is just like seeing who's represented. Like, I think I notice more now, like when like I see Beyonce or like Rihanna Mm -hmm. um, or like makeup artists like on YouTube and like the kinds of voices that get uplifted and the ones that like aren't often heard. um, I think I'm more conscious of like how their like lightness has helped them. also like media representation in terms of like movies and television shows um and like Zendaya who's like very gorgeous um but like I'm definitely conscious of like you know there aren't many like black like dark-skinned actresses and um singers that like are renowned and like appreciated mainly for their beauty Mm -hmm. um and so yeah, I think it's just like it makes me think of opportunities. For sure. Yeah. Um yeah, but Kayla, like what do you what do you think about that? I feel like um I notice it a lot more cuz I spend most of my time on Twitter and <laughs> in different like fandoms and the ins and outs of Twitter internet culture or <laughs> whatever. But um I feel like recently people have made it a thing to like state what your race is. So there's a, I see a lot more biracial um, people on Twitter talking. And then when there's problems or like when we're discussing a topic, race often comes into play and they're like, oh, but you're half white. Why are you talking on this? And, mm. and then people have to like explain, okay, but I'm black too, you know? And I feel like like, like skinness does play a big role in opportunity, like Jada was saying. But I feel like people still get discriminated, even for like a drop of blackness in their like um in their family. So although there is, I guess you can say privileges to it, I feel like we shouldn't like to, like what's the word? We shouldn't like leave out their experiences mm-hmm. as well. Because I feel like some people really will go so far to say that just because you're half white, you're white, when that's definitely not the case. And, in most um mm-hmm. instances yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean for sure and it's I I I don't mean to bring up high school again it's just because I really did see it manifest when I was doing theater because I mean it's all like yeah because that's a form of media it's all you know kind of putting out the same message so yeah I definitely saw that um when I was studying theater like for me I I found that I could easily even though in theater class, like there was some embedded racial bias taking place in terms of like who got the main parts and also for the people of color, what kind of parts they would get, that sort of thing. Um, and I found that for me, you know, it, it may have been, a, it may have been a little bit easier to navigate the roles that I wanted to play. Um, yeah. Compared to a lot of my like black friends in my year in theater um, they would Im- immediately be like, okay, here's a raisin in the sun. Here's August Wilson. And kind of, you know, and that's not necessarily bad, but you shouldn't mm-hmm. put people into those roles just because they're black. And that's, that's what I found oftentimes. And even, you know, senior year of high school, you know, we would go on and have these big plays as our final projects and people of color were barely, they barely got the leads. 
so just stuff like that was some was definitely something that I noticed. And I, I noticed not only the racism embedded it within it, but also the colorism as well. Um, but you know, I'm just curious, like, how do you feel, how do you feel like those aspects of race? Do you feel like they manifest in other aspects of your life or, and if so, like how? Like colorism? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of putting colorism is, I'm kind of putting it together with racism, but how do you think we can answer for both? Like, how do you think both of those have manifested in your lives? I mean, I think like in terms of manifests currently, I mean, I guess in the work that I'm doing, it's never not something I'm conscious of. Yeah. Like in terms of like CUNY for abolition work um, and also just like political work, like making sure that we're electing people who have progressive stances on like shrinking the police state. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I guess, okay, one like incident, in, well, quote unquote incident that like comes to mind is like my second women and gender studies class is called Intersectional Black Protest Movements. Um, that sounds like such an awesome class. That's amazing. Yeah. It's very awesome. And like, there's lots of like, very like, great, like black women there and like, um, and organizers and like, so I'm like, very excited for the class. Um, but then like the first day of it, well, second day after introductions was like, very like, strange, because like, of course, like white people decide to take the class, like to learn more about black history and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, these are like, people who consider themselves like progressives and like, conscious of racism um and so the, we were talking about like slavery and the haitian revolution against slavery and the first like five people to speak were white and oh, yeah. even though they were like in the minority of the class and like they kind of like took up like a good like 30 minutes chunk of the class and it wasn't until like I started like texting other my black friend in the class and she texted other black people in class who were like, okay, we all have to raise our hands now because they're literally not like allowing a pause for like any black students or black women to like say anything. And it was just mind boggling to me because it was like, how do you have so much to say about slavery? Why are you taking the front seat in this conversation? Like even like they made sure to have the last word and like, I would say things and they were like, yeah, that's so relatable. <laughs> Oy. Oy. So I think like there's never a time where I'm not thinking about race because even in progressive spaces where like white people like want to be down, like they spend a lot of time like wrestling with their whiteness in front of us, like talking about like their racist family members oh. and how much they disagree with them and like just eating up time in a class that's about like black identity and black movements. Um, so yeah, that was a time. And we're definitely like considering community guidelines because I think like every space is going to need community guidelines um, to prevent that kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, like overshadowing, like overpowering black voices. I don't know. Yeah. Jeez, that's yeah, I definitely I definitely noticed that with um 
the black like the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole in terms of gaining traction in 2020, which we'll get to in a sec. We'll we'll get we're definitely gonna touch upon that for sure. But um yeah, so Kayla, like how do you find that, you know, both colorism and racism have manifested in your life, like in certain aspects of your life if they've had. Okay. Before I get to that, just to add on to what Jada was saying, I took a white supremacy class last semester and it was so similar to what she was just saying, except that I feel like there were a lot of white people, but I feel like there were a lot of like other Asian people as well. And it was like a few black people, myself included, but like it was a discussion-based class and I'm not really a discussion person. I feel better like listening to whatever. So I was just, I was just, I was there as like, I guess you can say, a visitor. I was just watching everything occur. <laughs> but it was really like these people would like raise their hands to speak on these topics. And we're, we're, we're supposedly learning about the Black experience and what what whiteness has done to Black people. And we had all these really good readings on like how Black people were treated in the United States and like what blackness is, what is whiteness, how did it emerge and all this stuff. And then the first person to raise their hand would be either white or another POC. And like, yeah. it's like, yeah. there are black people in this class <laughs> that yeah. we can let speak first and then we can like move the conversation from there. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah. It was just very interesting. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like what that does is like, it prevents like the class from actually engaging with blackness and what the text was about because they don't raise their hands and like talk about like, I don't know, like they raise the hand, their hands and try to relate it back to themselves and to relate it back to whiteness. And then we go back to centering whiteness. So, yeah. And the craziest part is that the professor was white too. So oh! Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, especially when it comes to issues of race, like it's important to give Black people in the class, like, because it's something that, it, it's part of like, Black history, I, I, that's just ridiculous. But yeah, I, but I'm also not surprised at the same time because I definitely noticed that with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a time where Black Lives Matter were saying it was a taboo. It was like taboo, you know, which is crazy to me. Like, why would it be taboo to say Black Lives Matter? But at the time it was. And a lot of you know, there's a lot of like white friends that I had or people that I'd known that like white people that, you know, wouldn't really comment on racial issues or do like the anti-racist work. And then mm -hmm. when Black Lives Matter happened, it was a trend. People posted black squares. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I was going to ask you guys. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... What do you, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how much of it do you think is like, oh, people are and are definitely doing the work that needed to deconstruct racism, and how much of it do you think is like for show? Oh God, <laughs> what a question! <laughs> um, I think Kayla can go first. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's definitely a trend if you ask me because oh my god i was i was on twitter first because twitter is my first social media then instagram is my second so let me tell you about that. I was on twitter first, and then these people they made phrases and it was like 
oh, I see you, I stand with you. And they were retweeting that, they were posting that over and over. I'm like, what does that do for me? Like, okay, you see me, donate, donate somewhere, please. I'm like, and then the black squares, oh my God. I came on Instagram, <laughs> the black squares were hilarious. And then it, it just like, it was messing up the hashtags and people couldn't find information. The whole thing was a mess. And then on top of that, some of my mutuals, I can't even call them friends, just people I know. Cause I, I follow a bunch of hunters. <laughs> I follow a bunch of people from Hunter. So just people I know posted on their stories. Like they would always zoom in on the bad parts. That's not even te- technically associated with Black Lives Matter. Like they would focus on the riot aspects of it. That is not even the protesters. That's just people taking advantage of the protest. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, then they would be like, oh my goodness. My father owns a, a business, and 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 why are these people like rioting? And like, I was like, if y'all don't shut up, it was it was so crazy because everyone was trying to find some reason to discredit the movement and say that there was no need. And don't even get me started on the people with the all lives matter. And all oh God, yeah. But Oy. it was it, the whole the whole thing was crazy. And then after a week, it was gone. It was like. People put it in their bios, like they would have it in their bios, and then not another peep afterward. It was yeah. crazy. I think, like, it totally, like, um, I think it definitely upended my life because, like, CUNY for Abolition and Safety was born in the dawn of that. Um, yeah, and then, like, you're also, like, during that time, like, you're reevaluating, like, which friends are speaking up and which friends are not speaking up, and you're, like, note-taking that in your head, like, okay. Nice to know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's such an encompassing question. I feel like, I think a lot of it is for show, um, but some sometimes it's like helpful for show. It's like, okay, it's good that you like, you posted that bail fund and like you spreaded like that petition cause that had like material impacts. And then other times it's like meaningless and it's just like to uplift like yourself, like, like, honestly, in my gender studies class, like, I think, like, the white people there, like, feel like it's activism for them to speak over Black people first um, and to talk about race. As long as they're speaking about race, they think it's, like, activism. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, it's hard because on one hand, I think a lot of things have changed for the better and there's been some pe- a lot of people interested in results. and then. But there's also been a lot more people interested in doing the bare minimum or whatever is surface level so that everything can stay the same. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, it is a lot to unpack because I think I think there are, you know, of course, there's like there are active like activist organizations. Yeah. Like you said, to just CUNY for abolition and safety that did come out of that. So I think there is a lot of there is a lot of good that came out of it. But then you and it brought awareness to issues that you know, had to be addressed and that, you know, and that were addressed by a small population, but now are addressed on a national scale. So I think, like you said, there was a benefit to the black, like black lives matter gaining so much traction, but I do agree that there is a bunch of it that is performative. Um, and yeah, I guess I, yeah. And I said it before in terms of, you know, friends that I had, like, or rather people that I knew not really supporting Black Lives Matter, but then all of a sudden are because it's trendy. So I noticed it with that. And then um, 
I also noticed like people, there is people in June and July saying like, we can't stop, we can't stop advocating for black lives. Like we need yeah. to do. And then by the time it's like September or October, it's like, like look at, me at a beach, Bahamas or something. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, so that's something that I definitely noticed is, and also, oh God, um, there is a book I'm blanking on the name. Um, it's called like uh, White Fragility or something, but it was written by a white woman. Yeah. And I felt it, and who's crashing in on this movement, right? If you really think about it. Yeah. And she's taking up the voices of, she's, she's overshadowing the voices of black people that have been in this struggle for years. So I definitely noticed a lot of people profiting off of Black Lives Matter as well, which put a bad taste mm -hmm. in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah um funny enough like oh god this was this was kind of i think this was a little bit before black lives matter but it was like around the time uh there was a bank that um came out with a debit card of harriet tubman right oh doing wakanda Oh my god. And I'm not like I'm not joking. At first I thought it was a joke. I'm like they, they can't be serious, right? And then when I saw it, I'm like, "Oh my god, come on. How tone deaf can you be?" Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's stuff that I definitely noticed in terms of that. But I don't know if you've seen that ma manifest or other forms or Yeah, I was thinking like how the ways in which people want to show their down like veers on disrespect. Um yeah. Like the Harriet Tubman thing, like there's also an effort to get her on the $20 bill. And like, I don't know, that just feels disrespectful for me because like she was enslaved to produce money. Mm -hmm. And now the justice is that she's on the money that she was enslaved for. So it's like uh, discomforting. For sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to say though, so how, I guess, how have you, like, how has Black Lives Matter? And I granted, like, it's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, but a also a lot of great things that came out of it as well. But mm. like, how do you feel like that's, if that's affected how you view your blackness today or not really? Well, for me, I feel like it's made me like my blackness a whole lot more because, um, in the same rate that like other people were speaking about Black Lives Matter, there was like a lot more Black people speaking about it as well. So I was able to see so much representation and not just from like celebrities and stuff, but like from regular people, like same age as me in, in college and in high school, you know, I was able to see so many people like um, saying, okay, I'm Black and I'm proud to be Black. And then there was also like, I think, uh, uh, Instagram trend or something like oh we're black women we're strong something like that I remember seeing people like post pictures and I thought that was really cute I thought it was really cool how we were all coming together to like fight for fight for our rights and I know there was like little problems within that like black men versus black women and all that other stuff as well mm -hmm. but as a whole I feel like it did a really good job um of at showing like the younger generation that there is other people like you, although it may not like seem like that in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workspace, but there are like people similar to you and it, you, you can be proud to be yourself. Yeah, I definitely think like pride, um, I feel more like proud and like conscious. Um, I think also like, I'm more aware that my voice matters, especially when like speaking up about issues of race but like really just like any like anything like whether 
has to do with like politics or like because I really do think that like race color is like every aspect of like how American life is and how institutions are and so I definitely am more aware of like what I'm qualified to speak about versus like what like white administration is not qualified to speak about um and so I feel like I have more like my experience gives me a lot more knowledge and like power and there's like parts of blackness that like allows me to see the world differently than other people and like that's a strength yeah yeah I agree with both of you guys I feel like the Black Lives Matter movement it it really led me to embrace my blackness even more in a way that I'd hadn't before um and well and also at the same time like yeah it made me more aware of like how you know my experience as like a light-skinned black woman like how that yeah, and how it it, sh- it shapes how I it shapes the way I view the world. You know, we I feel like our experiences always have like we always have something to offer based on our experiences. And there was a time where, you know, that was often dismissed. And but now it's it's not. It's like no, this experience is valid, and we want to put that forth. And yeah, and mm-hmm. it's funny because I feel like it deconstructed a lot of gaslighting as well. That you know, American society is kind of. Yeah. Done. You know, when we were younger, we were always kind of convinced that we lived in a post-racial society. And, you know, when I would when I when I would be taught, you know, U.S. history. I don't, yeah, I don't I don't know about you guys, but it seemed like, oh, everything, everything by the late 60s, like we figured out race. It's all done. We're all equal. The end. You know what I mean? And I think the Black Lives Matter movement showed me it's like, no, like these racial biases are still inherent, like, you know, and and whether it be through microaggressions or police brutality. And um, yeah, so it deconstructed the gaslighting for sure. But I, I don't know if you guys can relate to that or not in terms of that. Yeah, something that really shocked me was like the Martin Luther King Jr. pictures and how they would put that in black and white. And they're actually in color. Like when I first learned that, I was like, what? Because like they would tell us the, they would tell us what year this happened. And I'd be like, okay, that don't mean too much to me. Like this was 1960 something, 1940 something. Okay, that's a long time from when I was born. But like knowing that there was color photos at that time and they purposely put it in black and white to make it seem like it was so much longer ago than it really was that 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 really shocked me like that was so interesting to me when I first found out about that Mm -hmm. I had no idea they were originally in color that's crazy I had I had literally no idea wow Mm -hmm. I mean yeah it's funny because I also noticed that as well in newspapers with Black Lives Matter they are are immediately would put those photos in black and white as well Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I guess yeah, it 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 is kind of deceiving because you know you do assume if it's black and white that it happened a long time ago, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess how you know in terms of embracing your blackness, is it something that you that you guys like fully embrace now, or is it something that you feel like is an ongoing process, like you're constantly working towards it? I think an ongoing process. I mean. I do think like there's like an urge, like a pressure to be different depending on the space that you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially like 
bringing it back in terms of hair just because I think that's like the most specific thing like about being black that like you know if you're entering like a quote-unquote like professional space like I may not feel entirely comfortable like wearing like my hair like as it is like as like curly and thick because you know people like might not perceive that as well like I actually have like an interview next week and I'm most likely going to straighten my hair because I know I'm being interviewed by white people. Um, so yeah, I think like definitely proud, but also aware that like I may have to like shift like kind of like a chameleon like in certain spaces, like if I want opportunities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I high key relate to that as well. I remember um, sophomore year, I actually did an internship with this um, re-entry program called the Fortune Society that um, helps like formerly incarcerated people re-enter back into society. Um, and for the interview, I actually gelled my hair back because I was worried that, not like worried per se, but I was conscious of the fact that if I showed it up with my natural hair, they might perceive me differently. So I'm like, you know, why not? Why don't I just gel it back and then so yeah, so I gelled it back for that. And then once I got the internship, I was like, psych. And then I started wearing it. And then I started wearing it natural. And it was funny how like people perceive that differently. The guy that interviewed me was like, oh, you know, we interviewed you, you had your hair gelled back and everything was so, and then now it's just out and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that, yeah, you're right. That is how it panned out. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but Kayla, like, how about, how do you view, you know, the journey towards embracing your blackness? So, like, I picked the, I definitely picked the wrong day to straighten my hair because my hair straight right now. But <laughs> I definitely think it's something you got to work towards. Like, I've been trying with natural hair, and I did over a year without straightening. I only straightened it for my birthday yesterday. Mm -hmm. I promise you guys, I'm trying. <laughs> no, okay, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a learning process, definitely. Like, and there's so so many people try to help you and like their experiences are specific to them as well so like I'm trying but like at least my hair has been growing that's something my hair has never grown past my shoulders so I'm working on it but mm -hmm. like using this as a learning experience to, like learn more about like my hair and like why as a black person our hair is like this and to just like to just love myself as myself mm -hmm. when my whole childhood was like always relaxing my hair, always straightening it, straightening in it, and only spending these, like, last two years working to, like, improve myself as my most true self, mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah. I think it's I def it's definitely something you have to work towards. I'm working as as I go along my little life, but um, I think I definitely got way, way more involved in my Blackness recently, like, trying to like embrace myself more and not focus too much on what other people think like especially I I so relate to what you guys were saying about like straightening your hair for like interviews and stuff because my mom always is, was always saying like your hair is the first thing people look at when you go to like an interview or something and whenever I had like a meeting or whatever she would always be like oh you either have to put on a wig or you have to do something about your crazy head <laughs> and it's always like it's interesting to see how much your family also plays a role, like how they also play a role in like how you think of yourself and how you think of 
how you carry yourself as a person, basically. Yeah. Wait, so Jada, have you had a similar experience? Like how do your how do your parents view natural hair? Um I think my mom is like cool with it now, but I think like um yeah, I also had my hair relaxed when I was younger and it was like eighth grade when like I was more conscious of like race and like when I was like when I kind of discovered like there's like no reason for me to not grow my hair out and like I saw they're like black woman with gorgeous natural hair and so I was like yeah I'm gonna transition from my relaxed hair no more straightening and my mom did not like that and it was definitely like a long like process of like me having to um like love myself in private and like love myself like despite like all of the negative energy around me um and to like persevere into transitioning into just like completely natural hair um and like now I feel like it's more popular to like embrace your natural hair and like so she's cool with it (laughs) um but I do know that like in certain settings that like there's an expectation that she'll at least like stretch it out more instead of like going like full like out of the shower (laughs) like um yeah yeah for sure I um I I'm so sorry you guys had to go through that in terms of your natural hair and it's great though it's great now though that you're that you guys are like embracing it in that way I mean it's funny because I never straightened my hair but I also it took me a long time to embrace it too like my I kept asking my mom I'm like can I please straighten my hair like please even when I was like five six and my mom was always like no we're not going to straighten your hair it's not going to happen and you know, growing up, I was really rough with my hair. I would yank and pull because I was just so, I was just, there was a sense of self-loathing. Like I just didn't love my hair. And then um, sophomore year, I got like a massive haircut. I cut most of my hair off and just started from scratch. And um, I think that's what really taught me to embrace natural hair. And now I use all like the, I use the Cantu leave-in conditioners and I wear like the satin bonnet every night. And I really like pamper the heck out of it because- yeah, no, I now I feel like now I've grown to like embrace my blackness more through loving my hair. It's such a I feel like it's such an integral part of the black experience. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I guess there's that, but I guess in terms of you know, I so with my so my mom's white, she's from Scotland and my dad's black, and I haven't I I don't have much of I don't have a good relationship with my dad. Um, I haven't talked to, I haven't really had a conversation with him in over three years. And in 2021 or last month, I, I took it upon myself to reach out and try to reforge a connection, um, and catch up and just see how he's doing. Um, and I feel like that's also another step towards embracing my blackness as well. Cause part of that is embracing my ancestry and where I come from. And if I'm detached from that, I'm, a de- I'm detached from like a part of myself. So I think, you know, kind of trying to at least mend that relationship has also been like a journey towards embracing my blackness as well and getting in touch with my roots and, you know, where I come from. But yeah, I don't know if you guys can relate to that or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've actually been trying to do that as well because okay, I don't cool. speak to my dad really at all. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I spoke to him and that's partly my fault because I'm not like really a phone person. 
and he's like not really a text person so he would prefer to call mm. and like I would answer but I, I don't like staying on the phone for too long but recently like I don't know what has made me want to like learn about my history a lot more but like I want to learn about his side of the family because I know my mom's family like really well but I want to learn about him and how like his history because both of my parents are black but he's also indigenous indigenous to um Guyana where we're from so I also want to learn about like um that history like that's also part of my identity but yeah. I feel like blackness is like the the most that I know about myself so like that's something I want to learn but like it's hard because I don't know but I'm trying I'm trying to reach out we'll see if he is willing to do it because he has a lot of children so <laughs> that's a whole other story yeah mm-hmm. fingers crossed though I mean yeah no it's just good to get to know like where you come from at yeah it's super important and then you get to know like facets of yourself too and you're like oh that explains why I'm this kind of way um so yeah but you know just out of curiosity as well like how you know how how do conversations surrounding race like how do they come about like in your household I'm just curious because my mom and I just started talking about that sort of thing recently kind of when Black Lives Matter started to gain traction last year so I'm just wondering how that played out, you know, with your parents and with your family. No, good. It's okay. Take your time. Like these are, these are a lot, it's a lot to unpack. So if you need to like take some time to think that's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of speak in relation to my hair. My mom, she says it's a Guyanese thing or maybe a Caribbean thing, like the whole relaxing when you're small and like straightening nonsense. But like, I don't know when I realized, maybe in middle school, I realized like this burning from the relaxer is not supposed to be happening and all that. And I was like, can I stop relaxing my hair? And she would not. She was like, no, you're going to keep doing this because your hair needs to be straight and whatever. And so like, it took years after that before she realized that relaxer is not something that we need. And then she stopped putting in, in my hair and my little sister's hair. But like, I knew about that beforehand. Like something just told me like this, this was not needing, like, let me go natural. Mm-hmm. Let me wear my real hair. Like, even if it's not straight, straight, the blow dryer will do enough. <laughs> I, I thought that's what I thought. Right. But other than that, there's also like, there's also like the constant comparison because my dad is black and he's also indigenous but then my sister's dad is black so like she has like what my mom would call or what anyone would call the hard 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 nappy hair and then my hair is also hard but it's a little bit softer because i'm part indigenous so like they would use they would also call me names (laughs) because of that ancestry and it's like it's like little jokes within our family. Like you could probably search it up, but they call me stuff like Buck, which is I guess yeah. half half for whatever. And they're always like using that as a comparison for my hair. They're like, oh, but you have Buck hair, so you you don't have as many problems. Like, and then my hair is growing fast now because I was the first one to go to go actual natural because they would never listen to what I was saying. So, and I'm trying like the deep conditioner and the putting it in the shower cap for like 30 minutes and stuff. So my hair is the longest in this house and not everyone in this house wants to do what I'm doing. And I was telling you guys this years ago, 
but it's just interesting to see how that also plays a role in it yeah for sure yeah um i'm glad everyone's hopping on to your hair care regime now <laughs> yes um yeah so jada like how would conversations surrounding race like occur like amongst you and your yeah. family i don't know it's like hard i feel like um i can't think of like a particular conversation where i was like oh no but like um i think like elder generations have a lot of things that they've learned from like the imposition of whiteness and like white supremacy that like mm -hmm. they still carry and like some misconceptions and i think over the years like usually in like conversations around race like i've had to debunk like things that um like we've been taught like that aren't right about who we are whether it be like hair or like skin and like you know debunking like the mythos of like what beauty is um and then like i think now as of late like conversations around race like i think for the most part like me and my mom are on like the same page um i think it's just like politics like <laughs> differ in terms of like um hmm. I think like yeah actually no this continues what I was saying before <laughs> like um there's no contradiction I yeah about like misconceptions we've been fed so like yeah I'm a police prison abolitionist um like I am aware that like elder black people have been like raised to think that like cops are like good and that like some are bad but most of them keep us safe um and mm -hmm. so definitely, like, I know I have to debunk, like, mythos around what police actually do every day. And I have to remind family members of interactions we've had with them, because even despite those interactions, um, they still believe in, like, certain ideas about what safety is and what they do for us. Um, so, yeah, I think conversations around race is usually, like, battling, like, what white supremacy has like told us um yeah for sure no absolutely and it's um to add on to that point as well like when you were talking about how there's kind of a shift there's like a a little bit of a there's a difference in terms of how police brutality is viewed between you know like the elder population and like the young population today and i feel like um that it kind of goes to show because something that we're all that i feel like the media gets wrong as well as that a lot of times black people are viewed as like a monolith right that we're all on board and we all agree on the mm -hmm. same thing and it's just it's just not true um it's i don't i don't want to give this woman even more airtime but like for some reason candace owens comes to mind for me uh, i know I, I can't stand her either but she comes to mind for me because it goes to show like i mean like black people aren't a monolith right like she's a right she's like a, a trump supporter and a conservative but she's also black and it's like i know it's a lot i don't i don't get it either i'm like what like how can you support a mm -hmm. i mean he's a white supporter. it's so odd anyway but yeah I, <laughs> but i was going to say like do you ever notice that do you ever notice that phenomenon of black people being viewed as a monolith like through a white framework and how does that make you feel oh a hundred percent like um I've been like tracking the mayoral race. I've unfortunately been like ingrained into electoral politics through other friends ingrained in electoral politics. Mm -hmm. um, and so like there's, 
there's like two black men who are running and I'm not going to say their names, but (laughs) they are very pro-carceral. One was a former NYPD captain and the other one um, worked with like the NYPD Police Foundation. There will be people turning to him for legitimacy because they're like, well, a black man like supports expanding the police state. So, you know, all black people must want to support the police state. Like, yeah, like all black people believe in reformist policies. And so, yeah, I think that's really frustrating. But like something that one like, um, really awesome elder, I don't even, I don't know if I'm supposed to name drop, so I won't name drop, but like they're an assembly member and CUNY for Abolition, we met with them to talk about some things we won't disclose. <laughs> so exciting though. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he was talking about how like there's lots of black politicians and like, despite there being so many like black politicians, like as Brooklyn borough president, Queensboro president, other like positions like things haven't changed and he said it's because like blackness is like more than how do you like how you look it's also a state of mind Mm -hmm. um and so like if you're not like if your politics isn't shaped by your blackness then like you're not going to then you're not like engaged in anti-racist justice um but unfortunately that's like like black people with reformist politics are like used by white supremacy to like sustain white supremacy um yeah for sure and you definitely saw that with um the kentucky attorney general who spoke at the rnc um yeah you definitely saw how even though yeah even though he is a black man like he clearly supports like these racist frameworks but yeah like Mm -hmm. kayla how do you you know because like I said before, the media does tend to view like black people as a monolith. Like, how do you, do you, I mean, at least that's, that's what I think, but do you like agree with that statement or, and if so, like, how does that make you feel? Oh, I definitely agree with it. On a smaller level, I see it a lot on Twitter and like little fandoms. Like whenever there's a disagreement about a certain topic involving blackness or like, uh, someone doing something that's like anti-black but like them supposedly not knowing it's anti-black and then everyone wants everyone and their mother wants to talk about it and why it's not anti-black when it is anti-black and then there's the black people that think it's not anti-black and then there's the black people that think it is anti-black but like obviously people are going to choose whatever fits their own narrative so I feel like I see it a lot there where people are like oh but this black person said that it's okay so every other black person must think that it's okay. And then they also like start to attack people that are not comfortable with so-and-so happening, but because someone else said that it was okay. But like, I see it a lot in that type of aspect. And it just makes me think like, it's very interesting how people think other people can't have their own opinions. And I see that a lot on the internet. So it's just like really interesting. No, for sure. And you see that like, I I saw this in the 2020 election as well. You see that with the Democratic Party. They just assume most Black people are liberal. They're going to vote blue every single time. We don't need to cater to their vote. We don't need to implement policies that deconstruct like systemic racism. And you, you, I don't know, that's where I see it manifest the most. You see that all the time. Um, But that's something that I've definitely noticed for sure, at least like through that. Um, Yeah, I guess um, just like a couple of like final questions just to kind of wrap things up. 
Um, granted, like, even though the Black Lives Matter movement has gained a lot of traction, like there's still, you know, there's still a lot of racist frameworks that need to be reconstructed. Um, and I just wanted to kind of briefly bring this up, like with the diversity through hair event that the Macaulay Diversity Initiative was going, was hosting a couple nights ago, and just the, 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 the barrage of like racism that and racist attacks that they faced that night was horrible. And yet, so I'm, despite... So despite those instances and despite despite the trials and tribulations that, you know, we still face in that regard, like how, like, how do you still embrace your blackness then? Like what kind of allows you to power through in those moments? I think like reactions to like racism is like, it really depends mm -hmm. for me. I think like normally if it's just like, like a stranger, it's like, okay, like, um, like, I wasn't there for that um, Macaulay diversity event, but, like, I'm positive that I would be like, okay, racist stranger, mm -hmm. familiar with this <laughs> with this interaction. Um, and so it's, like, a sting, but, like, a short sting. Um, I think for, like, more, like, profound moments of racism, um, like, police violence or, like, friends, like, not turning out to be as progressive or, like, interested in equality as you thought they were um I think it's like always going to be kind of devastating um, um and so I don't know like I don't know if in those moments I'm like well like usually in those moments you're just like really sad or like hurt and like offended um and then like embracing like who you are like comes like after the fact and then you're like recognizing like you know this is like my political position in america right now and like that's their political position and so they have a certain agenda that they're pursuing like to feel better about themselves or to maintain the status quo and like it actually doesn't have much to do with me or who i am um but has a lot to do with like who they want to be um yeah yeah that's that that's that's such a great way of putting it as well. And it's one of those, yeah. I mean, when it comes to little instances, like it's easy to, I mean, you're still like hurt in the moment, but I think it's it's not as profound. Yeah, as like you said, finding out that friends aren't as progressive as you'd like. I mean, as you thought they were anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I definitely noticed that with the toxic relationship that I was in briefly, where like aspects of that would play out and it was just so disappointing. Um, and yeah, in the moment it's hard to embrace your blackness because you're, cause it's not the first thing that you would, at least for me, it's not the first thing I would do. The first thing is, as I would be shocked, upset and hurt. And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, but then after the fact, I think it takes like a lot of self-reflection to get there. And then after the fact, it's like, well, this is who I am. So like, I'm not going to, yeah. So I guess mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what I would say, but, um, it's tough to unpack like Kayla, like, what do you, what do you think? Okay. Then I definitely, definitely agree with what you guys were saying. Like in the moment I would feel like more hurt or like shocked that like, this is the norm kind of nowadays. Like we see these things happening and it's just like, wow, again. And it's only to black people, which is, that's like the most dev devastating part to me, like, um, 
like that whole thing on January 6th with the Trump administration and the, the attack on the Capitol and just watching it happen, like with my friends, like we were all just like talking about it and we're like, if that were black people, what what would what would happen? Like, would the people still be alive? Like the way that they just let them get in there with no no trouble at all. We were like discussing that aspect of it. And so it's just like really, it's really interesting to like look at it in the moment. And then afterwards, it's just like, okay, I'm still gonna be black. Like that's not gonna change. So I just gotta embrace myself as myself and work towards. I don't know. Sometimes it's it's almost like no matter what you do, you can never survive in America as a black person. But you still want to like make it so that you ha- you have the best version of yourself, so that you can like live to the best ability. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, because what happened was that um, so my computer was at four percent when we were talking and. I was so into the conversation and I didn't want to interrupt you guys at all. And I thought it would last the whole time, but it did not. Um, all right. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're, we're still recording. So that's good. Um, yeah. So Kayla, like, what are your, you're saying, like, what were your thoughts on that overall? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think I finished though. So like when you're looking at the recording, I think it should be fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I guess the the final question I have for you guys is, um, you know, to like to any to any like young black women out there, young black girls, like what would you what advice would you give them in terms of like, you know, embracing your blackness and embracing like our culture and where we come from? For me, I think personally, it starts with hair because like my hair has always been the biggest part for me. Like since elementary school, always thinking of like how my hair is different from others. It's always been like a really big role. It's always had a really big role in how I perceive myself in different settings. So if hair is a problem for them, because I know there's some, there's a lot of people that start off natural like they don't have to worry about the whole like relaxer nonsense that I have to put up with for so many years. But if that's a problem for you, I think it's fine for you to go natural. I cut off a good like four inches of my hair in high school and it's grown back. It'll take a while, but you'll get there and you'll enjoy the process, even if it's kind of difficult at first. Like I'm still learning as I go along. And if hair is not a problem for you, I think in general, just loving your own skin color, no matter what your tone is, if you're black, you're black. So even if someone like tells you that, okay, you're light skinned, so you don't really like um, experience as much as a dark skinned person would experience, that does not mean that whatever you have experienced is, is less important than someone else's. Like it's just as prominent in this world that we're living in. If someone knows that you're black, they'll think that you're black. Like even if we're, if we, even if we were to go back to like slavery times, if you had one inch of blackness in you, you were black. So that's something I think um, younger, the younger generation should take into account. No matter what someone else says, please just feel comfortable in your own skin. No matter what that be, whether it be with like a million piercings, if you love tattoos, do that for yourself. 
don't let anyone tell you that you're ugly because you're really not. You're beautiful in your own way. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I love that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think um, I think I would say that like loving yourself is definitely going to be like a lifelong like journey and like your relationship with yourself like may always be changing. Um, and so you have to like develop like affirmations and like routines and like, you know, like ways of taking care of yourself each day that like reminds yourself that you matter, like taking care of your hair and like being gentle with your hair, um, taking care of your skin and like lotioning your skin and using shea butter and like seeing the way like it you know, looks like very beautiful and gorgeous in the sun, like taking lots of selfies. Um, Yeah. And I think also just like knowing that like you belong in every space and that there's no like, there's no limitations to what you can be or to what you can do. Like the whole concept of like an Oreo, like that just does not even exist. Um, Yeah. I think just like seeing yourself as boundless um, and never shying away from any opportunity. Um, Yeah. Wow. Those are both like such amazing pieces of advice. Yeah. I mean, I agree with both of those wholeheartedly. And I guess I, I would also say as well, like, um, you know, I mean, you guys brought up a really good point in regards to self-love, like by embracing your blackness, it's, it's a form, it's, it's self-love inherently. It's just about, it's, a lot of it does have to do with loving yourself, but I would also say to like, not let, yeah, not let labels deter you from doing anything that you want to do. Like, you know, embracing your blackness. It's not, it's not like a constraint. It's not a label that's meant to be. It's like you, you, you can transcend any stereotype that's put on you. Like just because you're black, it doesn't mean that you have to act a certain way or be a certain way or look a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, the black experience it's it's all encompassing um yeah so i guess i guess that's what i would say but um yeah so kayla jada like thank you so much for coming on the show it was so amazing to have you both on here oh my god thank, thank you, you for, for having us, us. yeah uh, <laughs> no thank you guys and um yeah all right so this is tea for three where we sip the tea and spill the deets thanks for listening bye y'all bye, bye.